Oh, yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. St. Stephen's Day, depending where you are. Um, yeah, we're here with a slightly early Zero Ambitions. This week, we're having a chat with QS and Passive House self-builder, friend of Jeff's, I think, Ross Kremin. He, he's something of a Passive House pioneer in Ireland. He built his own place a few years back, one of those labour of love projects. Jeff is a big fan of Ross's work and thought that uh, it'd be appropriate to have a chat with him just before Christmas, apropos of one particular anecdote, which if you've heard Jeff's TED Talk or TEDx Talk, you'll have heard it before. But it's seasonal and timely. Broadly, though, we talked about the nature of Passive House now, you know, what's changed in the industry, big news out of Scotland, all that sort of tackle. And perhaps more importantly, Ross told us what it's like to live in a passive house. And we talked a lot of other garbage as well. Um, so, yeah, here you are. We'll have another one out probably around New Year. We might be a bit late with it. Um, but, yeah, hope you're having a good break. And, and if you're not, it'll be over soon enough anyway. Merry Christmas. Oh, um, as ever, please subscribe, share with your friends, join the ACB, join ACAN, subscribe Passive House Plus, advertise in Passive House Plus if you can. And if you need any help with your comms and strategy in that, give us a shout at ZAP at eiux.agency. Anyway, take care. Speak to you soon. So, but you, yeah, you asked my background. Um, I mean, I came straight out of college into what was the the Celtic Tiger boom, and as we know, it ended in tears. And at that point, I went out working for myself in two thousand and eight. Been working for myself ever since, and uh, I have a keen interest in the industry. It's something I enjoy. It's it's a I find an an interesting industry. Um, and then we were living in Dublin City, and family kind of came along and we had a tiny house with negative equity, all those good things from that time. And we said, look, let's move out. Let's move out of the city. We're both self-employed, myself and the wife. We don't need to be in an office in the city. So the, the Passive House um, road began. I, I had a blog on it, the Passive Road to Longford. The journey started there and um, all the research. I suppose I'm kind of slightly geeky, enjoyed the research and uh, built the Passive House and enjoyed it so much. Um, you know, I, I took a, a keen interest in it. Um, but I suppose it, it kind of peaked for me then. I did a year or two kind of consultancy in pricing for it, but I found it very hard to get paid from clients. You know, the way an architect has to get paid every job. So I kind of went back into just conventional construction, always working for myself as a QS. So I kind of let go of the, the specialist. Our, our specialist projects weren't really coming my way as such. Um, I was just there were few and far between, really. So it was just conventional building, renovations, new builds, refurbs, all that. And I suppose that's kind of brings me up to where I am. So you you took a keen interest. You saw an area for specialism. I, I did. It. And, I, and I thought, look, I have a chance here to um, lead by example and to um, put this passive um, notion to, te- to the test. And uh, by God, it it works. You know, it really. Uh, I think it's it's incredible, and I'm I'm still so disappointed with all the projects that I'm involved with that the principles aren't really applied. 
And there yeah. are so many wasted opportunities. To this day, to projects that I'm on this week where they're just focused on, you know, fancy giz- fancy heat pumps and stuff rather than, you know, heat re- retaining heat from the building. Uh, yeah. I just, it's so frustrating. I, I sometimes feel, are we getting anywhere? You know, the building regulations, okay, they've come on a lot, a hell of a lot. But still, the execution, the detailing is is poor. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. So are, you, are you in your passive house now as we're talking to you? Yes, yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that I'm in, so we had the luxury of, we built a separate, this is the office, it's a separate building. Mm. And it's built, the fabric is the fabric is built the exact same. Hi, Jeff. It's built Hi, the exact same standard as the house, the exact same insulation, air tightness, uh, triple glaze windows all, windows, all that. But it doesn't, it's, it's interesting, over in the house, it's the living, it's the, 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 the life and living that generates a huge amount of warmth, the cooking, the showering, the toaster. So over here, you're not getting that, that because it's just me and a computer and then I'm gone. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's no cooking or all those, uh, that, those parts of life that generate heat. Uh, it's amazing what an oven, an oven will do, you know, an oven... My God, if, yes. we, if we've used the oven, there's, there's no need for any heat at all in the house. Um, so it's, 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 it's an amazing... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I had a similar experience, but the exact opposite when I went to... I went back to Camber Sands, Jeff, to uh, oh, relax yeah. all tomorrow's parties. Oh, yeah. In uh, December, about... Oh, man, it's got to be 10 years ago now. Maybe even more. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and... In them chalets, so it's a Pontins holiday camp by the sea in December, start of December. The, the These are heating... kind of boutique music festivals, Ross. That were uh, that they were all the most parties were the first ones to kind of really do them, I suppose. Um, okay. And you get a band, and you get them to pick their favorite artists, basically, and they and they just basically, yeah, take over this uh, this this Butlins or Pontins style place. Okay, okay. Weekend, you know, was... uh, with lots of obscure bands. I like it. So, what what's the issue? Or is it cold there? Was it in December? Man, it, Not December in sort of like post-war chalet accommodation. Oh wow! wow. Yeah. So, we, I mean, you were speaking about the only heat that we could get in the hall of the chalet that made any difference was the oven, because <laughs> we weren't <laughs> sat yeah. drinking around this tiny like four mica table with the oven door wide open on full blast all wow. night. Like, horrifically inefficient but like yes. it was the best it was it was the only option we we had ahead of us so like the uh the same and the antithesis of what you're talking about where with the yeah. passive house they they thought along similar lines we don't need any other kind of heating <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what the british summer's like yeah. so have we started i know we started recording but have we started and sorry for arriving a couple minutes later just another call that that, that took longer that's all right we were all early uh, to be fair, we were uh, early, yeah, yeah. So um, we've just been nattering, getting a bit of background. So okay, background, yeah. So we're yeah. not we're recording, but we're not recording, basically. Yeah. Well, I think we are, to be <laughs> honest. Good. Like I'm, um, I'd be quite content to keep most of this in because well, this we're just is getting it. a bit of background and uh, started talking about the subject before you, before you completely derailed us, Jeff, sure. with your obnoxious <laughs> intrusions. Um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I wanted to start. I wanted to just go in and say, for starts, have you have we explained who Ross is? No, uh, he's given a a, a praise, but he was quite modest in doing so. So I think you've got something potentially a bit more. 
Well, Ross is, is an interesting character. Um, he, he's um, uh, Ross um, was a real pioneer in Ireland in terms of, of being uh, coming kind of early doors to use football parlance to uh, to uh, to passive house um, and. Uh, the many of the arguments that have been made against it have been about have been about cost, about construction costs. And Ross is a quantity surveyor. You're still a quantity surveyor, I presume. Yes, uh, practicing still. Yes, very yes. good. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, and um, managed to to show that that the extra cost of building as a standard for your own house was really quite negligible in your case, uh, if I recall correctly. Negligible, and and even more negligible now because they've done away with a lot of the the um, certified passive house components you know at the time we'd get a heat recovery system that was passive certified and was several thousand more and, and equally window technology has come on a lot since and is more affordable so even yeah. more negligible if even on a par i would think you know what as well i think um one of the things that passive house would have suffered from in the in the early days is that um as a voluntary target uh pitched at people who were wanting to build high performance buildings rather than the developer house builder market who's wanting to build as cheaply as possible um the products that you were seeing for passive house such as say in, in windows would be a kind of case in point um they're they were fantastic high quality high performance windows where a lot of the cost premium you're paying is kind of nothing to do with the fact that it's uh, a passive house thermal performance spec um um and that's not to say that you shouldn't do it because they're robust you know high quality and you know maybe architecturally beautiful or whatever in lots in some cases um uh, but uh but but it just it, it messes up the ability to kind of compare that against uh the, the cheap and cheerful windows that were going into say uh you know the ford focus style houses compared to the perceived mercedes of a, of a passive house whatever you know um so, so that was fascinating. It's a, it's a lovely project which we featured in Passive House Plus many years ago, and um, and I um, I referenced it in, um, in in my TEDx talk too. And part part of the reason was that Ross had a bit of has a bit of a knack to uh, to focus on what it's like to live in one of these buildings. And I just thought, given that this is going to be going out on Stephen's Day or Boxing Day, as you call it in the UK, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, um, we're not going to be doing like Graham Norton style, but we pretend that it's actually um, Stephen Fane. <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, oh, sure. Did everyone have a good Christmas? Yeah. Yes. What did you What did you get? What did you get? Yeah. <laughs> Just before we move into the anecdote, also Graham Norton style. Um, yeah. I think it's uh, it's important to acknowledge like there are changes afoot. So, like this news that Duncan was posting. Uh, about the changes in Scotland where it looks like all new build is going to have to adhere to some sort of passive house standard. Like... Scottish equivalent to passive house. Exactly, it. yeah, yeah. Like, they've managed to negotiate, it appears, some sort of system whereby they can achieve an equivalent standard of certification so they can include it in their building regulations uh, so they don't have to pay, like, the... So there is an additional cost created by the cost of certification because that's, I mean, you know, someone said to us, it's two and a half to five percent of the cost of the build. Or I think that might have been you. In fact, Jeff, you you said it's as little as two and a half or five no, percent of the build. No. Something like that. No, but like, no, no. No? No. All right, I can cut that. Too much mold wine down, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but like the 
the cost of certification is a concern for people. It varies. On it depends on what you mean by the cost of certification, because there's the actual cost of certification, and then there's the cost of all the work that you've got to do to make the project certifiable. That's what I was going to say. The administration aspect of it, and it's still yeah. onerous enough. I mean, with, with multiple multiple house housing scheme makes more, and a one off house, it's obviously disproportionate. You know, I, I presume you're talking new bills then. The new this Scottish yeah, 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 yeah. new bills, yeah, yeah. And uh, in addition to that, so like that's big signals. And I think Duncan referenced works in uh, a similar scheme out of Belgium. But yeah. we're getting on so that uh what is it? Building for 2050, low cost, low carbon homes, uh Bayes research paper that came out last month. Uh we're getting the authors of that on in the new year. I think we got them booked yesterday to talk about how. I mean, I read a headline and said I want to talk to them, which was there's a lot of misinformation about the cost of low-carbon building, or not necessarily misinformation, misunderstanding and misapprehensions. Yeah, Bayes, by the way, Ross, I'm sure you're probably familiar with them, but um, to anybody uh, outside of the UK, Bayes, Department of what, Business, Enterprise and Industrial Strategy, is that it? Is? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, business, Energy and energy, Industrial sorry, Strategy. Energy, yeah, yeah. yeah. Business, Enterprise and kind of technology one, yeah, anyway. Yeah, so like there are positive signs in that, in that the the issue has been acknowledged. Um, but, you know, overcoming those sorts of myths, negative myths, like it's mad difficult, like it always is. But when we spoke to uh, Alan Morris, uh, Alan Smith and Morrison Construction, you know, they ran two schemes, identical or close enough identical new build projects, side by side, one passive house, one not passive house, to monitor the impact, the cost, blah, blah, blah. And the passive house one was perceived to be significantly more costly than the standard build. Yeah. Well, of course it is if it's your first one. Like, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. we're forever comparing apples with well, oranges. I mean, the, the, the case I always refer to here is there's the University of Ulster study on Madeira Oaks passive house scheme where they found, uh, and it was very useful because it was a developer who had uh, the same house type built to building regulations um, and then passive house. Um, so you could do a direct comparison in this case, you know, um, and in that case, bearing in mind it's Irish building regulations compared to, uh, you know, which are, which are tighter than English building regulations um, in terms of the energy performance specs, the cost uplift was 0.01%. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, and just to be clear, I'm not decrying Alan or Morrison construction in that. No, I'm just no, no. Alluding, it's, it's, it's a different pointing a different to the, the, the misunderstanding or the, the misreading that people have of these situations, which stifles progress. Um, yeah. And this is, this was, in fairness, the, the, the one in Wexford was what we call in Ireland a very cute builder, Michael uh, Bennett, who's very, very clever. Um, I'd worked out. Like I was brave enough, having done some passive projects before, to only put in like two radiators. There's one there's and one downstairs uh, electric heaters, um, and then it's just air-based heating. Other than that, you know, um, and they've been monitored, um, and they're performing really quite well uh, ever since the, the number of the, most of the twelve units in that scheme. Um, but look, the reason we wanted to have you on, Ross, apart from the fact that you 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 know you, you're uh, you've got got good chat on you generally. Um, mm -hmm. Was um there's one particular anecdote that's uh that that we got out of you when we featured your house in the magazine that is very topical uh very to to the day that's in it 
Yeah, and is that the sole purpose of this whole chat? Is just that that one anecdote? It would that's, seem that's to be, your, yeah, yeah. That's your, that's your value to the world, Ross. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Well, well, Christmas, Christmas is about um, traditions, family traditions, maybe new traditions. All right, just a quick interruption here. Before Ross gets into the story, with no small sense of irony, when it came to actually telling the story, Ross and Jeff have perhaps heard it too many times, so we didn't get the full anecdote. It's not a long one. So with that in mind, I just lifted out a Jeff's TEDx talk and I've uh, crashed it in here so you can hear Jeff's on-stage telling of it. And we get all the colour, like out of Ross, anyway. You'll hear the TEDx bit, and then we'll get back into the podcast in just a second. Cheers. But it's not all rainbows, lollipops, and covert surveillance. When we interviewed Ross Kremen about his passive house in the Irish Midlands, he pointed out some drawbacks. His family have a hard time staying in other people's homes because they've become accustomed to such high comfort levels. And then there's Christmas. In Ireland, it's traditional to have an obscenely large turkey for Christmas dinner. The carcass is then stored in a cold room for a second Christmas dinner the next day before being gnawed at till some stage in January. Ross's passive house had no cold room. He had to keep the turkey in the car. And that was the, the, the kind of the famous problem that we had on St. Stephen's Day. Where do we put the remains, the leftovers from the turkey and the ham? So it's now become a tradition where we, you know, we dress it up, bring it out to the car, put a bit of a hat on it, strap it in, and uh, and and we'll go, you know, go and get it the next day. So it's a bit of a, it's a new new family tradition, bit of a laugh with it all. Um, so that that still is is that's an upheld tradition now, yeah. In, in because this, you've no colour, basically. You know, yes. So I, I don't know about you, Dan and Alex, but but when I was a kid, um, it was always the case that we'd have like the 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 turkey carcass would be put out in the conservatory or whatever, you know, because um, uh, it's too big to fit in the fridge, you know. Um, so you need somewhere to keep it for for yeah. for the next day and for the invariable couple of weeks of yes. A very like unsafe, picking probably, at it, you know, like, yeah. like uh, you know, turkey sandwiches or whatever that you'd have, you know. Yeah, I so didn't grow up we, eating turkey. Maybe we, we might be forced to get a turkey roll, a smaller, you know, without the, the whole carcass. You know, the turkey roll where you can just it's, it's a much smaller, um, yeah, yeah, piece of meat that can be maybe refrigerated. Uh, so but no, we're still going for the full, the full turkey, uh, and housing it in the uh, car, which as we know, cars are a great fridge, cars don't retain any heat. <laughs> One of the stories I always remember, I don't know if it's, uh, anyway, it was a, fa- a friend of ours who's, uh, who told us about how the grandmother had this tradition of always uh, cutting off the legs off the turkey and, and cooking them separately. And they absolutely followed this, this tradition and the whole family would get together. And it was a really quite sort of important tradition to them. And then it was only until maybe I think the great aunt told them, the only reason she did that was that she couldn't fit it in the oven. So it wasn't really a, a proper tradition. It was just, it was, you, she could not literally fit it in there, but it became a real serious and yeah. and well-loved uh, tradition, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Well, this well, year in, my, in our case, because our kids, uh, we have two kids, and um, they didn't like turkey. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not particularly keen on it either, to be honest, um, but, you know, uh, and Nora's my wife, but we what we keep on doing for some stupid reason, like probably yeah. half the world or, or half of the Western world, um, um, but um, the point was, um, 
So we've told our kids, uh, I don't know whether it was me or my wife that put it into their heads that um that we're having seagull. Uh, we've done this for the last couple of years, right? So so this, this, the, adding to the whole Christmas mythology, um, uh, my wife, this way the story goes, she catches the seagull. <laughs> we live in Dunleary, it's a good seaside town for this good fat chip-filled seagulls around the place, you know, um, and um, uh, takes it to the butcher, uh, and sorts it out, and they love it. They love it, you know, yeah. It tastes so, a lot like turkey. <laughs> you're persisting with the tradition. Even though yeah. no one wants it, you've just invented a story to paper over the cracks. Yeah, exactly. and those seagulls, uh, those seagulls are, are well fed. And I, as I can testify, we were walking <laughs> on Grafton Street with the Mrs. Uh, last winter, and we were at a gig, and we said she would treat herself to a few cheeseburgers and McDonald's. And we're walking along innocently, and a seagull came out and from behind and swiped the cheeseburger <laughs> out of her. Uh, straight out of her hand, and she let out this howl, and the whole street looked at me as if I was beating her. But like yeah, those seagulls, Dunleary, they're well fed on fast food, aren't they? Chips, mayonnaise, coleslaw. Good oh, eating yeah. in them. It's brilliant. I, I, I was down in Broadstairs a little while ago, or in the summer, uh, and they've got this well fancy chippy, like uh, really, really, really good quality. And yeah, the moment these seagulls know it's there, and they know unsuspecting tourists who were going there for the food, they're uh, going to be walking in and out. And the moment we got out into the open from this relatively narrow street from where the chippy was towards the seafront, I found myself surrounded like, by a gang of seagulls, five of them and one big one. <laughs> I just had the foresight. I saw, you know, the shadow of my shoulder, like Tippy Hedron, and recognised to pop the, the cones in my, my bag that was slung over me and started swinging my fists around as one moved in. <laughs> Well, wouldn't it be a great sustainable source of meat if they were if, if there were meat on them? I wonder. You know, well, so many. We, we, actually, we actually looked into this. Um, we were oh, not not properly. It's <laughs> read, read up on this. Um, thinking, you know, because pigeons are like you know, uh, old cuisine or whatever, aren't they? You know, uh, in lots of delicacies. Not the ones you see in London yeah, yeah. town. No, exactly. They're and, plentiful. And, and, and I've read I've, from what I've read, the seagull tastes disgusting because of the stuff they eat. So yeah. You never know. It'll come to that, you know. In the in, I'm always talking about scuttling around in the in the post-apocalyptic filth, eating rat meat, fighting over rat meat. So in our in our climate, you know, future, maybe that may, maybe we'll have to add seagull into the mix as well. It'll be well, part of it. I think with the uh, way avian flu has spread over the world, even seagull will become increasingly expensive as part of this ongoing <laughs> cost of living post-pandemic cost of living crisis. Like for yeah. real, I just moved to the seaside. And compared to what it was like three years ago, but there's hardly any seagulls. Uh, well, they've all died of flu. Really? Like, wow. The numbers have been diminished massively. So now, for the first time in my life, I've seen sea pigeons because, uh, like, pigeons hanging out on the beach. You know, I think I think there's going to be the, the opulent Christmas dinner of the future. It's going to be in the same way, you know, you've heard of turducken, haven't you? Which is a, it's a it's a mix of it's a what is it a turkey. A duck inside a turkey inside a goose or something like that, you know. Wow. Um, uh, turkey duck. You think chicken? chicken. But, a, but I, I heard, yeah, that, that's so what there's I was there's more. The, they've got other ones with longer names, okay, with more beasts. So we want something like it's going to be like a what, but like a rat, uh, rat and rat pidge gull. Right. <laughs> <laughs> go. Very post-apocalyptic. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, Merry Christmas, one and all, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but, but come here, um, with regard to your passive house now, I mean, I know that 
one of the that anecdote, Ross, was really useful to me. I think just to, because you were rather than getting lost in kilowatt hours per, per square meter per annum and so on, you were trying to kind of convey, you know, from a human perspective, I suppose, what it's like the experience of living in a building like this. I think I remember you also talking about how different. It, you know your experience of going and staying in other people's houses, relative houses, whatever it is. Um, but what you know, I'd like, I'd be, I'd like to know yeah, more, it's, it's more become, about that. It's, you know. it's become problematic us visiting other houses and, and equally boot, so-called boutique hotels where you know the corner of the room is cold. Or when we're visiting, we're, we're so used to just an even temperature everywhere. And I suppose then the contrast then, or the the inverse of that, is when say my parents in their eighties came visiting last weekend and they were you know they were in the house 20 minutes and slowly but surely they're unpeeling all the layers you know taking off the hat taking off the scarf taking off the multiple down to nearly the long johns you know that my dad would wear so just it's yeah so we go visiting we find houses we do find houses cold and we're amazed I suppose we've become so used to it but how people accept it or put up with it I suppose they've, they've no choice um, you know, they, you'd see them um, moving over closer to radiators, and it's just it's a it's a world we've left behind. It's it's funny because I'm in a I'm in France at the moment at my mum's house, and it's a, a concrete uninsulated home. So the moment the heating goes off, basically the house just goes cold. But so what you've said here is really funny. There, I suppose again, just using the traditional analogy where we just spend our time going around like optimizing the. The radiators, because if you put them on know, the thermostatic radiators, if you put them on two and a half, it's good. Yeah. Put them on five, it just blasts the room. So you have to yeah. go around basically yeah. opening a few windows and doing this. And you actually spend a lot of time just to make sure that the house stays on average. It's uh, a tight rope walk. It goes really cold. Yeah. yeah it's a tight rope walk, isn't it? Um, it is. It really is. Whereas um, I, I presume for you, Ross, you just, as you said, you just walk in, close the door, and it's yeah, all Yeah, we, we don't have to ever give it a thought. And, and it, the performance of the house continues to astound me, amaze me in that, you know, generally on the cold days, we would light the stove. Okay, we're very, the mantra was keep it simple, fabric first. You know, we don't have any, we don't have apps controlling anything. There's no, we're as low tech as can be. Mm. Stove, we just have the stove, no heating in any of the bedrooms. Uh, the stove then heats hot water for domestic needs. And then we've, we have radiators in the bathrooms. But we go but to no bed at 10, 11. No underfloor elsewhere, is there? No, we've no underfloor. We have no, we just have the stoves and the stove and um, radiator in the bathroom, in the bathrooms. That is it. And an awful lot of the time, the stove isn't even required because there might be baking, particularly around uh, Christmas, Christmas at the moment. Uh, there's absolutely no need to ever put the heat on. Once the oven is on for more than half an hour, that's the place heated up. And heat recovery then, you know, disperses, balances the heat. But what amazes me is how we could go up to bed at 11 o'clock and we're open plan, living room, kitchen, dining. And the temperature could be 23 degrees. And we come down the next morning, eight, nine hours later, it's, it's, it has only dropped by two degrees to 21 degrees. And that just, I'm always staggered by that. The heat loss is practically zilch, you know. Um, mm. So we, it, we don't ever even have to think about um, stats on rads or, you know, time clocks with heating. It's just it's so it's so simple, yeah. Which is and when, you, when you moved in, didn't you? Because you you went for a stove, and uh, and I would always be a bit iffy about. Or, um, well, I wouldn't have been at the time that you were building that, but what we've learned subsequently about biomass from a, an air quality perspective, I'd be a bit, a bit iffy about. Fair it, enough. You know? um, yes, but yeah. um, I remember when you when you um, built it that um, 
you had some leftover timber, didn't you, from the construction process that you yeah. were going through? Um, are, you, are you still working on that, or are you? Are you <laughs> no, no. I, I'm luckily not. I live in a rural area, and there's always a tree, a storm blown tree down, or there's farmers, you know, clearing a field. There's always any amount of timber. When if you open your eyes, there's plenty of it there. You're the but I know it, it has of a, of a windfall vegetarian. Windfall vegetarian, if you've heard of them. Windfall vegetarian only eats the the fruit that's fallen from the tree or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never go out and saw down a poor old innocent tree. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I've always just been fortunate. I've never had to go seeking out timber. There's always someone who word is out that I'll, I'll take timber and uh, you know I'll process it myself. But absolutely, you know that is not for everybody. Um, and there's a lot of talk, isn't there, about the kind of the the the, the if timber isn't seasoned, the you know the pollution potentially that can come from that. And that'll be a bitter pill for us to swallow if if you know if the stoves do become something that had to be banned at some point that that'll be a struggle yeah i'd say it'll be a long time before they'll be um gone from ireland with the with the healy rays and the uh the ming the merciless luke flanagan's characters out there in our, our, our local yeah. politics you know we we had we've some we've uh god i shouldn't even be i'm embarrassed to be mentioning these kind of people in the context of a, of a podcast that goes out beyond ireland but we've some con- contrarian um mps or our equivalent of mp td in 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 ireland like um the Healy Rays, who um, who one of them, uh, who's a publican, was was uh, campaigning a few years ago to get the drink driving rules uh, uh, relaxed to en- to enable their customers to, <laughs> you know, in in uh, in parts of uh, South Kerry to, uh, yeah. to to be able to, to to drive to the pub and back. <laughs> oh, they're right characters. Yeah, I mean, they've multiple businesses, don't they? The conf- conflicts of interest are endless. Oh, yeah. wow, yeah. Uh, you have to have conflict of interest, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you sure do. Um, um, but no, but no, that it's it's fascinating, Ross. I mean, um, the, the, that that experience. So Christmas for you, um, it's you, you know it feels different, I suppose. To, to uh, it, it does, but I mean, we, we like you know it's it's cozy. You know, it's, if the fire goes on for an hour or two, it's always a cozy uh, Christmas atmosphere. Um, so, uh, but just just as known, this, the, the the heat, this 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 yeah, we don't we're not seeking it out by um, yeah putting on boilers and, or anything. And if you had a big gathering of people over, does it get un- unbearably hot? No, no, nothing that a tilt and turn window open and a good breeze outside can sort out. Yeah, but visitors are always amazed, just amazed that you know that there's no need for for heat. It's it's. Incredible, really, how little heat is required. Um, and even if we coming either, can you? I think you remember you saying that as well. That that's one of the other. Well, if, you've to- if you've the toaster going or candles going, you know, you're that's it. But like, I don't know how, even how a heat pump would have worked with our house. You know, we just need such a tiny trickle of heat. I suppose the calculations could have been done, but I mean, yeah. heat pumping always on. We it really it would have been overkill. I, I think it would have. I suppose it could have been just a couple of radiators, very a minor. A heat pump is probably what you need, or you know, uh, or maybe maybe a, a compact unit, a little compact unit like an Elan or something like that. That's that's designed to do hot water and uh, and to 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 a very small amount of, of of space heating as and when needed. You know, yeah. Yeah, and, and like even the sizing of our our stove is only it's only two point two kilowatts of heat is the output of the stove. And it's five kilowatts to, to, to the hot water. 
So, and I mean, I carefully checked that. I remember I mimicked it by setting up a super sir in the house before we put it in. And each bar on the super sir is, is generally a kilowatt. And I left it running for hours and hours one evening, sitting, watching it. And it, it didn't over didn't overheat the house and it was enough to heat the house. Mm. So, but the sizing, if I put in a traditional Irish stove, I mean, it would just blast us, blasted us out of it. So it's very, very low, low output, um, which is so important. Yeah. It's a big leap of faith though for you to go and, and build, not only build this house when you did, because it must be, what, it's over 10 years now, isn't it? It's, it's nine years, nine years of a nine-year-old son and he moved in when we were, when he was zero. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, a leap of faith, you know, to put your faith in the process. I know so many at the time, and even subsequently who were building this, we'll put in the other floor, you know, just in case, or we'll put in, there was always this, just in case we'll do it. But we, you know, we've no radiate, we've no heating in bedrooms. And I remember the mechanical engineer saying to me, well, what if you have a sick child? Or what if you, that child will be perished? And it has never come to that. Those bedrooms are always 18, 19 degrees. It, it's, there's just never a need for, 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 for heat, yeah. So when you're away visiting over Christmas and you leave the house as it is for days, what temperature is it when you come back? It'll be 18, 19 when we come back, yeah. The heat recovery doing the, he- the heavy lifting, yeah. And, and it, again, it's something we come back from. Our, it blows us away that it is still warm. Like, you know, you'd have very, various people will be uh, flying into Dublin Airport with their apps. Oh, I can turn on the heat here now before I have the two-hour journey home. Like, it just, it's never something we have to even consider or you can stop showing off now that's fine yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying i'm like a salesman here yeah <laughs> but, but i'm coming at it from a point of view of frustration when i see new bills refurbs going on where they're not focused they focus on the pv the heat pumps the touchscreen wall panels thermostats in every room all that end of it and i just get you know i here i am nine years ago keeping it much simpler and to this day People aren't using that 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 fabric first mantra, you know. It's just it, yeah, I, I'm frustrated, and I just have to. I don't even engage with 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 the builders, with the architects. I just, I have a pure frustration. What about your your office now? Because you said that obviously that's very different. There isn't uh, a cooking area or anything like that. So how does that perform? Do you need to have a, a bit of a, a heating every day or? or... Yeah, good question. I have. You'll see it there. There's a stove. You see that there. So I will, yeah, generally I will like that. Um, I'll just light it in the morning, put wood into it, and it'll just, it'll burn out in an hour and a half or whatever. And that's it. That's the heat of the day. Yeah. Okay. So same kind of principle. Um, yeah, it, there is heat needed. And again, as I said, it's built, it, it's built with the exact same fabric, but it doesn't have big south facing windows. And it has DC, DC uh, decentralized um, heat rec- uh, ventilation, but so it doesn't have a main heat recovery unit. And the, the life and living that doesn't take place here, it, it's interesting how, um, yeah, the, the heat it just it, the heat isn't generated from cooking and 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 uh, fridges, toasters, all that. Yeah, so uh, the thing is, supplementary the- heat. Passive, passive houses, they do need some source of source of heat, even if it's the humans living in it or the, the oven. You they can't just expect them to just do it. A little, they do mm. need a trickle, a little top-up, I call it. A top yeah, up, yeah. The thing you have to watch out for as well is some people building, you should never build too large anyway, but you get sometimes empty nesters or whatever building like a 200 square meter plus passive house um, where you know there's not going to be, now the, the, the software is supposed to kind of calculate, you know, it, it does calculate 
uh, there'd be standardized occupancy assumptions in the software based on the size of the house. And if you've got one or two people pottering around in a big house, you're not going to be having the, the metabolic gains that you have from body heat, as well as the activity-based gains that you'd have from, 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 from cooking and showering in the same way that you would with, with, a, with, a, with a five or six people living in the house, you know? Um, well, no, I think that's a good point, Jeff. Like our house is 150 square meters. It's compact. Like we've four bedrooms within that. Um, but the form factor is very efficient. You know, if it was single story, you know, I see a lot of the new houses going up in rural Ireland and, you know, the cities are the new, there might be the main house and there's a link building, there could be a bedroom wing, you know, there could be single story. That kind of format mightn't be, may not work as as what we have done here. You know, we're a simple rectangular two-story box, uh, 45 degree roof on. So the heat is obviously rising, but uh, yeah, any bigger and any more sprawled out certainly um, might present problems or additional mm. heat so, demand. So, what was it like last summer? Like, if you if you lose so little heat, like, how did the building cope with the mad temperatures? Um, I'm not, I'm not just trying our, to pick holes. It's yeah. Oh <laughs> no, yeah. Fair enough. No, yeah. I mean, how did you cope with that, prick? Yeah. Like the temperatures <laughs> here weren't as crazy as you had in, in the UK. I don't think we had. Did we have 27? Um, there would have been maybe two or three days that um, the house would have been up at 26 degrees. But as soon as you open a window in the rear elevation, a window in the front elevation, and you get that cross ventilation, it just, the heat dissipates. It really, it's not an issue. It really isn't an issue. Now, if, you know, if, if the climate keeps heating up, it may become more of an issue. We, when we designed the house, we designed it with them. Um, shading sliding sh- shutters which go in the south elevation uh, of course we never got around to it really not feeling the need for it whatsoever um but it's something we may may employ but at the minute it is absolutely not not an issue i think we've seen in, in the uk um uh some of the people who are at the uh, uh, at the sharp end of uh, at the kind of leading edge of, of possible design um and, and, and post-occupancy evaluations like Alan Clark and Nick Grant uh, uh, spring to mind. They're, it's when you get prolonged spells of, of days and days, like a week or more of very high temperatures um, where the night purge kind of ventilation you're talking about um, isn't really going to work that well. Um, okay. and the, so there will be situations like that where you may need um, uh, some active cooling, you know, eventually. But the point is that if it's if it's a passive house, it'll need a, a tiny a fraction of the of, the, of that uh, energy to cool it that, that a, a less efficient building would do. Because all you're doing is people forget about this with with a building like this with a with a fabric first approach like that. What you're trying to do is is prevent the temperatures from inside and outside from equalizing. You know um, that's what what what, what will, will otherwise happen in the absence of that kind of approach. And then. Um, if you want to keep your uh, your air uh, temperate and uh, avoid avoid getting too hot in the summer, uh, the same principle should 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 apply. You know, but but I think you're right about the prolonged. If it's a week, and if air temperatures are warmer outside the whole time than they are inside, it's not going to maintain that coolness. And in short spells, I think a masonry building will outperform. It cold blockwork walls will. You know, they will outperform, I would have thought, in, in very hot days, a timber frame structure like we have. Uh, you know, I know my mother-in-law, 
her house was definitely cooler than ours was. And she was, you know, an old masonry, even the old stone cottages with the small windows, you know, the, the heat just can't permeate into them, really. Yeah, yeah. it depends on how long. I, mean, the, the, I remember some research in the UK, I think it was the Carbon Hub, um, um, and what they found is that um, uh, that thermally massive buildings, um, the problem you run into them is that when, when they do overheat, um, which I guess is if you have a more prolonged spell or higher temperatures, um, uh, yeah. it's much harder to cool them down, you know, because yeah. uh, they're saturated with heat, you know. Um, but no, it's fascinating. Come here, Ross, I wanted to ask you as well, do you think that living in a passive house has affected the presents uh, that you get on Christmas? Do, do you get slippers anymore, for instance? No? Um, slippers, not that much of an issue. Um, it's it's very silent. It, it, it is so silent, like... Kids are always looking out for Santa. You will not hear him. You just will not hear him. There's not a chance, you know. We're always startled when a courier comes in or even a, a tipper lorry drives in. There's a, a, boot, a knock on the door. And we, we get heart attacks continuously because we live, we're very rural here. So now that, that sound, um, the acoustics, they'd be far better employed in, in the city environment, you know. But up here, yeah, the, the sound is is... It's, it's again, it's amazing. Um, yeah, slippers not as important. Dressing gowns. The, the, very often, I would scot if if it's bedtime, I say put on your pajamas and go to bed or whatever. And say we don't wear pajamas. You know, there's it's 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 just not cold enough to, to need dressing gowns, pajamas. Yeah. Where, 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 does where does Santa come into your house, into a passive house? Where does he enter? It's a, it's a mystery. There's a there's a stove ah. flue of about five inches. How he does it, we still don't understand yeah <laughs> he does it somehow yeah mystery i think i think that with the clothes thing i actually think when people are getting very detailed with their, their cost benefit analysis with these buildings there's a, you've got to factor in wear and tear for clothes right <laughs> you know uh i remember uh, uh, jay stewart saying many years ago that an open fire for instance it's a strange love affair that people have with it because um it's like they're like 30 percent they do a bad job of solving the problem that they create they're like 30 yeah. percent when they're in use and, and like mine is 100 percent efficient when they're not you know you have the stove there of course rather than the fake fireplaces that we see in some passive houses you know an uh, ethanol fireplace or yeah um yeah but but it's uh it's more than ornamental but it's but i suppose you don't know what they're eating you know yeah yeah but also in the cost benefit analysis the, the, the comfort the thermal comfort is a hard sell as well it's not really people don't rate that when they're going building a house when they're planning a new build it's not something uh you know they put huge emphasis on sleek kitchens and more blingy components but they won't focus on you know the thermal comfort uh, oh, of the building i've an idea about that i was talking about i've been ruminating on this for a few weeks so we've got a few guests coming up I was talking to Andy Mitchell of Green Building Store in Huddersfield yesterday, and we were talking about the value of heating one's home in relation to the cost of upgrading one's home to retain heat and be more efficient and decarbonize. As people will have heard us say on the podcast, stacks and in person, people never think about the comfort factor. They never think how to value it. The way we talk about homes, we talk about property, not homes. In social housing, they talk about assets and not homes. But the way we think about it is all pissed. Now, we've got a guest coming up. So we've got, uh, I think, a technical director from Countrywide Surveying. We're talking with him about him coming on to talk about how the valuation of properties is going to evolve 
So over the next five years, definitely. So it was like Stuart Little was talking about last week, that the people who are issuing debt, the lenders, they want to know that the value of the asset that they're lending against, the, the securitized asset, is going to retain its value. Otherwise, it becomes a significant risk to its balance sheet. And so they're looking at ways of unlocking capital to enable people to make improvements to their homes so energy efficiency doesn't become a detractor to that value. Now, all them words, that's all quite complicated, thinking about it in those terms. So how do you simplify the conversation or the discourse into a way that people can understand? Like in the UK, we are used to our homes being uncomfortable to live in. Like well, I was just going to—I was just going to say, Dan. Yeah, like the the, the thermal comfort—they've never had it. For example, so if we were to if we were to sell our house and have to move move to another older house, we would we wouldn't be able to cope. Yeah, because we've become so used to it. But if you've never had it, it's not higher in your prior, priorities. I think. So now, what we need to do, and so this is one of my arrogant and ambitious projects, is I want to introduce the notion of comfort as an indicator or predictor of financial value of a building asset. That's the fucker. That's yeah. what will make a difference. Yeah. Like if you can yeah. get that idea in people's head to make them no, it's, it's, anonymous. It's a great idea, and it's, it's maddening that it's not there already, because I go back to years ago, 2009, I think it was, um, when I was working on a um, proposal for, for the Greens for the renewed programme for government uh, for this pay-as-you-save policy. I don't know if you remember it, Ross. Um, uh, which got into the program for government, although they changed it to save as you pay because they were concerned about copyright or something like that. Because it was a US Vermont-based organization who'd done it. Uh, it never, it never flew. But the, the idea was to to uh, to try and pay for energy efficiency measures through utility bills. You know, uh, over time, uh, it was too complicated, and the, res- the department didn't have the resources in in house. The Department of, of Energy you know, the, the resources in house to uh, to implement it. Uh, when I was working on that, there was a guy called Gil Scarity who had just retired from uh, ESB, Electricity Supply Board, the big state-owned electricity utility. And he'd run consumer campaigns throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s there, including in 1979, after the uh, the Iran oil crisis, um, um, or during it, um, he teamed up with an insulation manufacturer, uh, Moy uh, Insulations, and uh, successfully so, uh, sold, uh, I think the insulation is about 30,000 attics, uh, what would be very poor standard by today's terms, paying for them on, on electricity bills, right? Um, wow. So he had amazing kind of insights. Um, and one of them from running, he was, uh, uh, God, well, Shop Electric stuff. You remember that, Ross, as well? Yeah. Um, um, and selling consumer goods and stuff. Um, uh, but their research from the 90s even was saying that um, if you looked at what what would motivate people to to spend on, on on energy efficiency, comfort was the first item back then even, right? Um, more than energy savings and environment was way down the list. Now these things obviously can change over time. So I find that mad that 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 kind of been the case then, and and that yet when it comes to property valuation, it's not other than the fact that uh, in a in a seller's market, people don't get the chance to express their desires. They have to buy whatever the hell they can take. Well, yeah, you know? you're, you're ignoring um, the economics. Like that's and the, the political structure. Like what you've identified, though, is that the world's changing. Like it but is. There, but, but there is a latent demand there, you know. Um, and, but not, and, and, not one that can move markets. There's one that works in individual cases. 
So, yeah. like Ross said, he'd pay he'd, if he had to move out that house, he'd have to pay over the odds to get an equivalent comfort factor. But that's one man. Like, he's going to make bugger all difference. And the reality is he would have to buy the house that he could retrofit yeah. because he wouldn't be able to find the house that suited him. Yeah. And yeah. you've got to move the market. See, this is why this is why we are good at what we do, me and Alex. And uh, this is why we're setting up the consultancy to help people communicate about this better because we've got loads of individuals saying lots of important and serious and accurate things, but they mm. haven't put it into a coherent whole that ordinary punters can consume. And they haven't identified the markets which you can break through with. But I mean, that's uh, that's a marvellous way to wrap up. So for any anyone who's got a business who might need help with this, come talk to us. We're setting up the consultancy off the back of this. Got to be shameless because we've all got to eat and we've got to pay for our increasing energy bills, except for a man like Ross who doesn't. Ross doesn't need any business because <laughs> no, he's just dropping logs. <laughs> yeah, you're tied. Yeah, but guys, the the podcast is excellent, I, and I'm I'm only new to it, Jeff. Thank you for you know I, I wasn't aware of it because I'm always looking for uh, resources like that, and it's excellent. I'm really looking forward to digging into them all. Yeah. Oh man, well, um, if you wouldn't mind sharing it far and wide, uh, like I will, of course. Of yeah, no, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, Belton, thank well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, thank you. Okay. Before we let you go, one thing, Ross, is, have you anything to plug as well? I mean, you know, uh, you know, finding QSs who um, who understand this stuff um, it can be, you know, can be a real difficulty. You know, presumably you don't want to only be working on projects where where people are kind of um, heretics when it comes to, to to proper sustainability in buildings. You're looking for clients who 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 are on the same page as you, right? I mean, I mean, I, ideally, yeah. And I gave that a go a good few years ago, but I found they weren't in Ireland now. Very often, not willing to pay for a service. What? What? They, there's nothing to show from their point of view for engaging a service like that. Uh, you, I think you kind of spoke about it in, in so many of these things. I mean, I don't know. Did you see Catherine Cleary in the Irish Times? She was talking about her heat recovery system that she invested in maybe ten years ago, the lungs of the house. But there's nothing to see for that investment. People just aren't as inclined to spend money on something they can't see, even though it's improving their life. You know, I, I think we've a ways to go yet. We need yeah. to make it manifest somehow. We need to kind of find a yeah. way to, to um, you know, to, uh, people are putting lipstick on pigs in other cases and getting and, and getting kudos for it. How do we, how do we uh, put, you know, All right. make well, one more beautiful animal that we've got here? So uh, <laughs> to, to so, crack that is the challenge, yeah. So... And this will be another episode, and this is how we will finish because I think we've got to go. Yeah. Uh, we retrofit from the kitchen or bathroom outwards. That's how you do it. That's how you sell it. Like, there's no other way that's going to work. Like, I'm basing this on something Alex keeps banging a drum about. People are prepared to spend money on that. But once you've started tackling your fabric, because it's not just the trappings, because so much is changing. Start from the kitchen outwards and sell that as a proposition. But yeah. it's it takes coordination and it's incredibly disruptive. Right, anything last? Anyone got anything to plug? Thank you very much. All right, big up. Um, yeah. all right, Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Alex, Jeff. Merry Christmas. Happy New Merry Year. Christmas, yeah. Merry Christmas, Ross. Merry Christmas to you. Lovely to meet you. Thanks Thank for you including me. Thanks a million. Oh, pleasure. All right, well, we'll speak to you again. All right, yeah. take care. Thank Bye. you. Good luck.